Welcome to the Stats Check Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Joe. Follow us on Facebook at Stats Check Podcast and Twitter at Stats Check Cast. Now to this week's review of Season 3, Episode 2 of Furikuri, Alternative, Grown Up Wannabe. So Joe, I am super duper excited to talk about spicy food and college boyfriends. <laughs> The spicy food thing I thought you would like because definitely our guy there is trying his hardest in that scene to do the gendo pose while he's waiting for that soba to get delivered to him. And I appreciated that. I don't know if you've noticed that part, but of course I'm looking for that everywhere. No, what I noticed is, is that despite pouring all the sauce in and the site being absolutely nasty, he drank it anyways. And and really to be really frank and, and, double down on my sarcasm here uh, or rather flip it around you know th- this was not my favorite episode full confession yeah you you were doing your best impression there to just digest it all and this is we're, we're definitely going to part ways on this because i still got a lot of good things out of this but i will agree with you that that actual sequence there in the middle was probably one of the the hardest things to get through in this. I I feel a lot of secondhand embarrassment when I watch embarrassing things happen on screen. Yes, I'm the same way. Yeah, and so it was tough to digest. It forced the theme of maturation way too hard, especially in that sequence. And it made it hard for me to accept the idea that they were doing it ironically. They were doing it to prove a point. I think they took it too far there. Yeah, I think there was a lot. I think that's a that's a good way of kind of saying it. They took a lot too far. They they tried to hit stuff really on the head, but at the end of the day, none of it really to me it didn't resonate like other episodes of FLCL. And I say that because other episodes have done such a great job. I've really truly enjoyed other episodes of season 2, season 3, season 1, and you know, compared to all of them, you know, in the aggregate this was not even on the radar. There, there are some parts I liked about this episode. And, and you know, I, I think we can go through, I think if we kind of start chronologically or just, just generally chronologically, we can kind of work through this episode. But getting to ratings, and, and I think this is usually where we start, my, my general rating for this episode is a 3 out of 10, which is, is the lowest I've given anything, um, but I, I will stand by that, that rating. Right. I I don't know if it's just that other things are going on in my life that are making me positive and uplifting my spirits, but I watched it the first time this morning, and I came out of it in a really good mood. I went through most of my day, even when bad things were happening, you know, with high spirits, and so I'm going to say at least a six. And it's a Monday, too. We're recording this on a Monday, so... I know. I know. It... I don't know what to tell you. Again, maybe it's just other things going on, but I can't hate on it as much as you're hating on it, even though I will say it's definitely not living up to what episode one built up for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. And, and and I think that, you know, going on a basis of two episodes, I preferred episode one. And I, I one thing I thought was kind of missing here was the, the music throughout two was mm. also a, a big thing. I never really felt the pillows coming in that it significantly at any point. And even during the mid scene, there was, there was some weird music playing that, that honestly sounded 
kind of alien and not. Yeah, they did a little bit of that towards the end of season two. There was definitely a sequence like when the pin dropped on their building in episode one of Alternative, where it was clearly some different music style going on. And I mean, this is something that season three is just not carrying the weight that the previous ones have had so far. And I, I'm hoping that they'll be able to turn this around later. But up until now, yeah, I got to I got to pan the soundtrack. Yeah. So so this is the so I think, you know, one thing, let's go back to tooting our own horns as we are want to do <laughs> and say that, you know, a lot of our predictions came true from the last um, from our episode one review insofar as, you know, in terms of my prediction, you know, we're getting sort of character centric episodes. Obviously, the other characters are still there. but. Um, you know, Hijri, this was kind of a Hijri episode, and I, and I do anticipate that will happen for Mosan and Pets and Kana's. Well, Kana's a main character, but, you know, will happen for the other characters as well. And maybe that's why I like this one more than you did, is because I'm always that much more interested in being right about things, regardless of how. <laughs> that is not surprising at all. And, and I'm surprised I didn't like it more, considering it's Hijri, and in a way, I think if they'd portrayed a little bit more depth to her and we'd seen a little bit more really three-dimensionalism, well, well, let me just say, I, I felt like, you know, she's a character I think I called out in episode one. I can identify with her, you know, how she's trying to shine. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to see from her more emotional depth and range. They were on the cusp of it, but they didn't get there. See, I felt she was actually the strongest part of this episode. And maybe that's where you're going to tell me that that is very telling, but I liked what they had going on around her. And if she's not, you know, tipping her hand in terms of emotional range, you know, at a certain point in the climax, she confesses that that's because it's what she's trying to do. She's trying to hold a lot of that back. And so I think you have to, for me, you know, you have to watch what it is she does. And the most important scene for her, in my mind, in this episode is in the karaoke bar. You know, she's we're, we're going to completely buck the chronological review of this if you're going to let me steer any part of it. Well, that is pretty early in the episode. Right. Yeah. So she's just been dumped. She tried to play it off. It's clearly affecting her anyway. And she's working at this karaoke bar that, you know, as she had called out in episode one, is not that busy looking, probably thanks to that new mall. And, you know, she's trying to stay professional, even around her friends. And she's like, you know, keep it down. Everyone can hear you. There's not everyone there anyway. Right. And, you know, just wants to deliver the drinks and get out, I guess, to go back to moping and looking at her phone at the drink station there. And Connor really. Well, I thought that was sort of like a front desk, right? I mean, yeah, I, it's she. She's the, the the upfront eye candy, right? Well, I mean, there's that, but you know, she's also doing the serving. Clearly, they don't have a lot of business. I think you know, she looked like she might have been the only person on staff at the time. Well, there was one other person, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, her, her manager was there, yeah. but I don't think there were any other servers. So, not important. But you know, she's trying not to get pulled into Connor's orbit here. And Khan is really insisting, no, you know, sing the song with us, really suggesting, as it turns out, that Hijri is the one who's best at this. Mosan gets a really poor score. 
And, you know, we don't see the others, but I have to imagine they're not going to be able to live up to what she can deliver. Hijri wants no part of it, gets frustrated, slaps the mic out of her hand. And, you know, an enormous amount of tension is right there. And then she just reverses it. She's like, oh, no, gotcha. It's only a joke. Of course, I'll stay and sing with you guys and you you girls. And, uh, I, and I see you saying uh, you, you're slipped there, Joe. I catch yeah, you. Because I, know, I, I know. think you're now, identifying this behavior because you've seen it before in other people. Right, I have. But the thing is, it's different from when I've, yeah, you definitely got me. Yep. But it's different than when I've seen it in my life because in this moment, this is something that makes me really respect Hijri. She realizes in that instant, no, she's about to hurt her friend Kana here a lot. And, you know, she doesn't want to play along, but she doesn't want to hurt her friend. And so she chooses in that instant to find the cleanest way out of this to spare the feelings of her friends. And I can't call that anything but admirable. Can I, can I pause you right there? Because that is one way, that is a very optimistic way of looking at that. The way I can take it as well, and one of the things I thought of immediately was, oh, yeah, no, of course, because she's got to maintain this mask. She can't maintain a persona or be perceived by her friends as a petty, emotional you know, person. She's trying to be perceived as this mature, strong, grown-up wannabe, aka the title, you know, and a grown-up doesn't have outbursts, doesn't act like a child throwing toys across the room, slapping microphones. They act calm, they act collected, no matter what happens. So seeing her fall out of that role and then her realize, oh, crap, my friends are going to see me emotional. They're going to see me broken down. They're going to see me hurt by this. Let me put back on my mask so I can play this role that I have to play all the time. I mean, this person who is a, who is a high school student who is dating somebody who's in college, we're not even going to go to Japanese statutory laws. But, you know, beyond that, she's she's repeatedly throughout this episode shown as somebody who's trying to put herself as mature, who's trying to be this person, but it's clearly a mask. And that does something to a person. And usually it perverts them, in my experience. I'm not going to disagree with you that it does affect her. I mean, we get the line that, Later on, you know, Mosan picks out that she felt like Hijri had a different aura back when she was in middle school versus now. And, you know, some of that impression could be coming from exactly what you're talking about. But all the same, I think through this episode and through the previous episode, it's shown very clearly that regardless of how she wants to posture herself, Hijri really does care about Kana and the others. And so it's... Yeah. Is it pragmatically a win-win for her to try to turn that back around and to play along with them? Yes. But yeah, I think, I just, I'm just saying her intentions may not be entirely purely altruistic. That's no, all. no one's intentions are entirely purely anything, but all the same. Oh, I, does, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Haruko, Haruko makes me doubt sometimes. Well, we're, we'll get to her and her play in this episode in a little bit. But the one who was the only person who comes out of that scene still being hurt by something is Hijri. She manages to, yes, internalize those things again to her own detriment, but she spares her friends. And 
in the long run, in the long run, that's the best for all of them. I mean, she would never, you know, if she had a fight there and her friends were pushed off, none of the other things would have happened to bring them back together at the end of this episode anyway. She would have stunted her own real growth and maturation by continuing to build up a separation between them, you know, not just in terms of a mask, but even further in terms of, you know, having this outburst, this confrontation that would be very selfish. I don't, I don't, I mean, I see what you're saying about not benefiting in the short term, obviously, but I, I don't agree that, you know, one outburst would be enough to alienate herself, especially with friends. No, that no, close. right. But everything happens that one night. Yeah, but I mean, Kana would have, you know, let's say there was an outburst there, right? You know, looking at Kana in the later scene, she would have tried to repair the relationship if she thought she upset Hijri, especially because she's the one who's been supporting her, been there for her. And when she realizes, oh, hey, maybe me pressing her in that moment was really insensitive, she would she would try to repair that. I, I think you're ascribing a lot of emotional maturity to Kana there. And I'm not sure she always has it. You know, you see in this episode... Not maturity, not maturity so much as concern for the welfare of others. Right. But I think Kana also has the most to lose there. Consistently through this season already, she's been the one who has been the biggest Hijiri fangirl. Yes. And, you know, to have that image damaged is is wounding. You know, you get what we had in the classroom when the rumor about her dating this college guy comes back around. And so that that fan celebrity relationship, that fan idol relationship is something that we're looking at different angles to here, even though Kana is also her near and dear friend at different moments. She acts like there is still this great distance between them, you know, in terms of adult like looks, in terms of, you know, her attractiveness to guys and her success in social circles. Right, Kana can't wear lipstick, and, <laughs> and 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 is it netting a hundred guys asking her out? <laughs> and you know what i I respected Kana a lot in that scene too. You know, she took a shot. She tried something different with herself. It didn't really work out. She trusted her friend's judgment, and you know, there were no hard feelings. She didn't resent her friends for she trusted her friend's judgment in what when she tried on the lipstick. You know, they all made this face at her like, no, you're not pulling that off. And she's like, oh, okay. You know, she wipes it off and just goes on. No, I I enjoyed that moment. I enjoyed that moment because it was the four of them having fun and just being together. And and once again, I don't think that's the ultimate end state, you know, QQ. But it's Chikana is definitely one of my favorite characters. And I think her moments are some of my favorite moments of this of this episode. What what let's let's go back to the beginning. So what what did you think about Hijri's relationship with this photographer just starting oh my, out? Oh, oh, like in I was really turned off at the very beginning. In fact, in some ways, I I can see it now from your side a little bit. It's amazing that I got through this and liked it as much as I did because like those first 30, 45 seconds were just like, ah, oh, this is everything I hate about talking to people because they say things like this. And it's just, you know, he's trying to impress her, but not really look like he's impressing her. She's trying to look like she's not impressed and not pay attention to him, even though they're in the car together and they're supposed to be dating. I mean, even to the point where when Hijri kisses him, 
it looks like she's got the phone up to her head in her hand and is not even giving him her full attention in that moment. Man, you haven't you haven't dated a lot in the modern era. That's that's about I haven't, the course. This this is a hundred percent ninety-nine percent why. The other one percent is my sterling personality that doesn't have a lot of fans. But ninety-nine percent of the reason why is definitely that there is something a little off about some of these kind of interactions from where I'm sitting. And does that make me old fashioned? Yeah. But I'm I'm with Kana here where, you know, she's still kind of this is a big thing going on here. Why don't you realize this is a big thing going on here? Look, I'm going to give way more credit to Hidri than, than I, I mean to, because, and I'll, I'll take it back when we discuss her later. But, you know, I, I don't, I don't, ne- I don't negate or judge those sort of things. You know, everybody has, there's different relationships that people are in in different times. This one clearly has a utility for Hidri. Clearly useful to have a photographer. Right, yeah, she's, she's a model. practicing but, for oh, being on. the wife of some rich famous person later yeah she's definitely on her way up no 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 you're missing my point even 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 okay that aside yes you get experience for that but just getting to know different people making connections and getting experience being with other people but she's not getting to know him that conversation didn't mean anything to either one of them yes it did it allowed them to ingratiate themselves to each other to a certain degree Uh You know, and and they did, I think, connect a little bit in that, you know, insofar as there was the conversation about her friends and the ability to, you know, come with and then learning a little bit about each other. You know, it's not it wasn't as substantial. It wasn't a great conversation. It was a plus plus. But it, it was, I think, par for the course in most human conversations, Joe. I don't think it's it's something that's so weird or odd as to be, you know, completely foreign. Now, yes, to me, that's not an ideal relationship or, or conversation. And clearly also, this guy is kind of stooping down to her level. The the, the one line when, you know, he meets, he meets the friends and they come to the, the park and she goes, oh, I'm, I'm in college, but don't worry, I'm a total bro. And now I hate that localization. No, 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 no. I thought he said a total pro, as in professional. Oh, I oh, you said pro? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so is, I saw is, bro. I heard bro. <laughs> of course, you would hear that. No, I feel like he was talking about his camera skills. It's like, oh yeah, I'm only in college, but I'm a total pro behind the lens. Okay, well that's even worse because that's a humble brag. So well, that's what this guy's doing the whole time. He's like, oh yeah, my mentor, you know, took the shot for this, you know, very high success selling album. And, you know, my other friend who's my senpai, you know, has this startup and all he's humble bragging through this whole thing. And I just can't stand it. And and that's that's pretty that's pretty standard. Honestly, most people, especially honestly, I'm going to throw dudes under the bus. But that's, you know, all we can talk about is ourselves and try to puff ourselves up and, and flat. But that's not really how you connect. And that's where he misses the bus there. I mean, he really never connects with her. I mean, he's so self-interested and, and lacks empathy. I mean, the, the one scene that kind of keyed into what type of guy this guy is, is the fact that after he she saved her, after Hedri pushes him out of the way, he turns directly to his camera. And I mean, I thought they were going to make it, you know, really bad and make it so he starts cursing her out about the broken camera. They stop short of that, but he never acknowledges what she did. In fact, it's the friends that call out to her. And I think in that moment, she kind of 
sees that priority, you know, okay, the yeah. friends are more important. Yeah. And, you know, and, they, um, and they, they like, they drove that a little. Well, hold on. Is it, is it sisters before misters? That is a hundred percent what it is. Okay. And that, that, that's your takeaway here. Yep. Believe it. That should be your ninja way. But before all of that, no, I mean, I think, I think that scene where she saves his life there is, is forced a little hard, but I mean, honestly, what kind of pro is he anyway to not have a backup camera? All the pro photographers I've ever known always have extra equipment on them if they think they're leaving the house at all. Mm. Much disrespect. Yeah. And, and, you know, he clearly, you know, a person who is, who is choosing to date a high schooler while they're in college and who, you know, decides to put himself up that much clearly is dealing with some insecurities. I mean, clearly this guy has, has some issues. I, like I thought about that and I was going to bring that point, but I did step back and think, okay, Hijri is actually like a rising star here. You know, she is a model already at 17. She looks like she could be going places. So yeah. Do I think there's definitely some insecurities on his part? Yes. But also I think like you said, this is a mutually beneficial kind of relationship. He's investing in her at a point where she's still accessible to a scrub like him. Exactly. And, you know, she realizes that, and I think it's just kind of throughout, I really think she's, she's upset about it, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's par for the course that, you know, as a, a model, you know, there's always going to other people who have other traits that are more attractive than you. You're never going to be the most beautiful model in perpetuity or the most beautiful woman in perpetuity. You know, there's going to be somebody younger, you know, somebody who has different desirable traits. The fads change. What people are looking for changes. So I think that Hedri is kind of getting a taste of that lifestyle of, hey, you're a model, you're the hot new thing, but there will always be something else around the corner waiting to hit you in the head with a guitar. <laughs> yeah, I, that's... I, I was definitely at the end there feeling what Mosan was feeling. You know, I wanted to yell world star when she was winding up to knock him out after saying, oh, yeah, you know, I decided I like you better after all. It's like, are you kidding me, guy? You're just you're, you're even just going to say it that way. You know, even if that's what you're feeling, you can't put on any veneer at all. After all this, you're just going to say, oh, no, it was it was just a phase. I want to switch back to you after all. Gotcha. I mean, that's, but that's, but it's thing. not, but that's the thing. That is the difference between what he did and what Hijri did in reversing. He's doing it entirely for selfish reasons. She at least has something there in her that is looking out for her friends. Yes. Uh, can we, uh, and, and I'll get there, but, you know, can we um, kind of turn to kind of Haruko's kind of seduction arc here? And, and it's funny, I was reminded of, um, this film, uh, National Security with Martin Lawrence. There's like this chick. Oh, man, this is not even going to be the only Martin Lawrence reference in this episode. Keep going. No, no. There, were, there was this, this really bad movie with like Steve Zahn. And like there's this one scene where there's like a girl. I don't know if she's in a food truck or some other sort of like a uh, truck. I think it's outside of like an impound lot or something like that. And like um, it's obviously gender flipped, but the two guys walk up. And, uh, you know, I think Martin Lawrence is like hot, heavy for this girl. And ultimately, in the end, she like who's, you know, serving food or providing some service out of the truck. 
in the end, she ends up screwing him over and uh, getting him in trouble. <laughs> um, so I, I obviously thought of that. She was actually dressed in a very similar fashion to that. Okay. And of course, once again, we have um, you know the boobs front and center for this one. Right, but again, the, it, okay, if we're going to go there, I will say they were not overemphasized in terms of like expanding dimensions like they were by this point in season two. They were still very much you know, similar to what her profile had been throughout season three here. And so I'm going to write this up more to, you know, what we learned about in season two, her ability to kind of adjust people's experiences and expectations. You know, she has a little bit of that latent supernatural charm. So, of course, she's going to be able to win this guy over no matter what he's looking for. Right. She's got the, the pixie dust kind of that puts the sparkle in any young boy's eye. I mean, yeah. I have I have yet to see somebody that's been able to like fully resist her. I mean, I guess Nauta kind of can pretend to because the Eno is strong with that one. Yeah. But other than that, <laughs> it's I mean, but I think this is something that we see here that we haven't seen before. You know, Hijiri noticing this offensive launches a counterattack that actually overpowers it. She's able Temporary. to buy him. Yeah, but still, that's more than any normal earth girl has been able to do at any point with just a few words and a look she does drag him off away from that we've all gotten that look well i i i've got i i don't know about you joe you know that's definitely happened before i don't really want to discuss my personal life here (laughs) comes to that i will leave it to the imagination of our listeners but it was impressive nonetheless i will say that yeah, and, and so th- this was something that I kind of wanted out of this episode. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think I was like secretly hoping that in the climax scene that Hijri would actually be the one to open the NO channel and have something come out. And I think we understand a little bit more about why she doesn't in this case. Mm-hmm. But clearly, you know, her sort of interaction with Haruko, I mean, she even remembered who Haruko was after only meeting her the one time. I mean, yes, you know, it was when their lives were in danger and a giant robot was attacking them, but all the same, this is not somebody who they run into often. Right. And, and, you know, I, I was, I was very disappointed speaking of the robot attacking by the whole cutscene. I mean, come on, transformers. Are you kidding me? No, no. All right. All right. So, the only person less happy about this episode than you has got to be Michael Bay because he, they he dragged like him the lawsuit right now, right? They dragged him through the gutter for this one. Everything about that whole scene was a snipe at him. And did they need to do it? No. Wait, 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 Joe. Even the giant penis reference? No, okay, maybe not that, but look, the the visuals, the visuals were all except okay, except for like the you you got me there, but look, the the penis tends to get people. Yeah, let's let, let's let's bracket that off for just a second. I know it's going to be hard because we're talking about it, a wide word yes. here, but but I would just want to focus on roasting Michael Bay here for a second. You know, the whole, I mean, obviously that is a knockoff of Bumblebee from Transformers. Clear, like clear. And then you get, you know, just the, the cinematic effects, the, 
I told you it wasn't going to be the only Martin Lawrence reference, you know, in bad boys too. Yes. There's that one moment where he's like, shit just got real. And they're underneath a bridge in Miami. And the camera does like a full 360 around him and Will Smith, just standing there with nothing going on. Like he's on the phone, but you get this dramatic 360 and you get like a 1080 here in this scene of Kana doing a donut and this eco-friendly mech, you know, trying to catch up with her. The whole trope about, like, cool guys don't look at explosions. Well, you have that flipped on its head. You know, cool girls like Hijiri do look at them. When she stands up and there's an explosion in the background, she's facing it. Mm. You know, clearly, like, calling out the thing that Michael Bay probably, you know, ratcheted up to 11 to make his career out of in these kind of garbage overhyped movies. Right. And that's right. I said it. His movies are terrible. I, I'm not going to fight that at all. I've, I've been met a Transformers movie that I've liked uh, that wasn't animated. Um, the yeah, the fight the fight scene to me, I didn't I didn't take much out of it other than that. You know, it served the purpose I think to kind of showcase you know to, to be the no. You know, I was I was wondering you know how's the no going to come around here and. My only justification for for Haruko acting the way she did is kind of say, kind of her knowing, and once again, this would be very predatory, but it's the only way I can interpret it that makes sense to me. Mm. But her knowing that Kana would be put in that spot and saying, "I'm going to make out with this college dude in front of Kana," so that yeah, put, makes her awkward about it and makes her feel all this angst and builds her up inside until she overflows. Yeah, no, th- th- I think it was even bigger than that. I mean, she she kind of feigns ignorance in the f- climactic scene there when she introduces herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she always does. Right. But she sees the four of them in the park there during the photo shoot. She turns the charm on to make sure that she's going to get this guy. She's the one, it seems like, who put the idea in his head to ask for the necklace back. I mean, at first, when he breaks up with her, he just lets her go. You know, even though it's supposedly fantastically expensive, he ignores it until later. Right. You know, and then coincidentally, Kana watches her make a move on this guy. I don't think there's any coincidence here. You know, she waits until the just the right moment to make her presence known once that standoff starts in the mall parking lot. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm here, too, by the way. I'm the one who made all this happen. Right. I just don't, I mean, in that scene, you know, the one way to play it, because, you, you know, to you, it, it seemed like it was obvious Hedry was affected by this. To me, I could see this episode two completely different ways, and I just don't have enough data to, to see which way. On one side, I could see that she was deeply affected by this, you know, by the breakup and by the whole situation involving this, and just, you know, hit it relatively well. On the other side, I could see that she really is, you know, despite, you know, being a little bit upset about it, she really is generally okay with it. I mean, she seemed generally okay with it in most scenes, and we didn't get enough for me to believe that she is, like, irreparably upset about this whole situation. I mean, clearly she cared about the guy a little bit, you know, enough to push him out of the way. But I'm going to be real with you, Joe, and you're a sociopath, so, so you don't count, but I would push most people out of the way of a falling light bulb. Now, now that's that's very mean. I am not going to deny any of your claims because I'm not a mental health expert. But what I am going to say is that I have been rigorously trained 
in the practice of trying to bail other people out. And so I probably would also just on instinct do the same thing. I want to say here, though, that I kind of want to just split the difference between what you're saying. I think she was affected enough by it that it distracted her at different times, you know, in school, at work. But again, this is over the space of 24 to 36 hours. So I think she's going to get over it without lasting damage. Oh, that's hilarious, Joe. I mean, that is hilarious. I, I, I If these people dated for, I, I don't know how long they did. Oh, no, no. I meant like the breakup sequence. I Okay. I don't know how long they dated, but they, but like between the park scene and the climax scene in the parking lot, I think that's like 36 hours. Right. I'm just saying that I don't think, I don't think a person gets over another person in 24 to 48 hours. I just don't think. No, no I'm, I'm not saying get over, but I think that all of the things she needs to get over it came out in the air. You know, there's no unresolved thing about, you know, who does the necklace belong to? There's nothing about, well, what if he this or that? No, he showed his true colors. She laid her cards on the table. I don't think there's any mystery or what ifs between them at this point. Right. There's no issue to come back to. You know, there's nothing like, for example, you said the necklace or something that you would have to return. You know, it's not like um, certain situations where it's like, oh, you have my key that I have to get back or something, you know? Yeah. Or, Or even more than that. Yeah, exactly. But again, my personal life, not going to get involved here. No, no. But I mean, you know, it is fully wrapped up in terms of they don't have to meet up again. There's no reason for them to meet up again. But I think that, you know, it's it's very possible that this situation and other situation in Hedri's life that she buries down in her result in an explosion. And it won't just be her hitting a microphone, it may be a giant NO provoking overflow. Yeah, it's possible. I, I think that runs a little counter to your prediction that we're going to get a series of episodes that focus on different characters. Because if this was, you know, as you said, the Hedri episode, they'd have to be pretty subtle in building up to that later without spending a decent amount of time on her and some other interaction. Well, well, let's let's put this out there. So let's say they do, this is episode two, they're going to do six episodes, right? Hmm. So episode three will three and four, you know, interchangeably, let's say, are Pets and, and Mosan, you know? Hmm. Um, in, in whichever way they flip that, that's up to them. Um, I could probably guess if I knew the name of the next episode, I don't have that pulled up. But, you know, episode five and six, usually five is kind of a lead up to the, to the finish. Yeah. So, you know, you have that those there. But also, Hijri, it does not disappear during three and four. She's still there. And there's a chance that her interaction with the others, you know, you see a growing latent frustration, a growing distance. I mean, that can be portrayed over episodes. Yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is, and this is probably the biggest dig that I'm going to give, is that right now... This season hasn't shown me that that subtlety in the writing is there to be able to string that together, you know, not within a single episode, but spanning across multiple episodes in different slices around this character, you know, dropping hints, making subtle motions like this episode was very blunt, very straightforward. There was I don't think anything like that unless they're going to prove me wrong later by spinning this together into some enormous construct that I didn't see coming. 
No, I, I agree with you on that, Joe. I think this this that that's one of my laments is that this season and particularly this episode has been so on the nose and so incapable of stringing together so far subtlety that that I'm not I'm not ultra confident. I mean, they could do it though. It's not impossible. And, and my my second dig, and I'll just to get them all out of the way here is that the pace continued to be slow. You know, I didn't notice it my first watch through just because I was trying to keep track of a lot of things. But the second time through, it's like, yeah, you know, we don't get to serious tension till more than halfway through. Right. It's the pacing was very slow. And the the Michael Bay scenes didn't salvage it. No, the, the, the fight scene wasn't as engaging as, let's say, C2's fight between Jinyu and Haruka, which felt like it had been building up for a long time. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to match that. I mean, that was, that was my favorite episode out of that season. That was, that was huge. I don't think we're going to get that. I mean, Haruko's not doing a lot of fighting overall anyway. Yeah, she's, she's doing some, but it seems, and it's not as, I don't know whether it's convincing or satisfying. It's more of like, the fights have been almost like comedy sketches or just kind of brief interludes. Yeah. And and it may be because that's the creation of medical mechanica in this particular mm. season. You know, as the mall instead of the iron, it's not the enemy that's kind of in your face. It's a much more subtle enemy. Yeah, and, and we do see that crop up here. You know, the the robot transformation happens because they're caught on camera in the parking lot. Of medical mechanica, a.k.a. the mall. Which I love. I do love this shot. That shot, like, you know, uh, from the parking lot that kind of looks up at it. And, you know, you see it's clearly an iron. I mean, it's it's yeah. unambiguous. You know, but it's their parking lot. It's their manufacturer of car. And so they turn it against them. Right. And, of course, I, uh, the trigger there was the NO, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, okay, they notice, yeah, Haruko is spinning this web again to get Kana to overflow there. and they want to respond and get their hands on whatever's happening. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and think about this a little more. I think in season two, and especially in season three now, Haruko seems like she has more control over what's coming out of the NO channel than she did previously. It's not random. It was the truck. Yeah, control and knowledge. She, she, she is, you know, with Nauta, she's like, pretty much exactly knowing what's in there and kind of fishing around. Even, you know, when she sticks the kind of cone over his head and fishes it around in his brain to grab something and pull it out. It's like she's going in her backpack. Now it's like she's fucking spinning a wheel and whatever she gets, she gets. Well, no, no, I I would just say the other way around. I mean, with Nauta, it's, you know, it comes from somewhere else. It's things you haven't seen before. But here it's the truck she was working out of just earlier that had this ominous extra machinery in it. I, I'm thinking, you know, especially after watching her build that weird cage in season two, that maybe she's adopting a different technique here than she has in the past to try to get what she wants. Yeah, I definitely think we're seeing her play out different strategies. And I think, but I think that's also a facet of the victim, right? Because, I mean, the, the, the victims, or rather the targets, are all in different places in life, you know, and in different people. One is a much younger boy, there's a, you know, a young uh, robot girl, and, you know, now an older, you know, adolescent. And, and I will say one thing, you know, they, they kind of 
once again hit on the head a lot was the grown up part. I mean, the kind of speaker there, the the president, prime minister, whatever, who who you know went on this tirade about grown ups doing grown up things, and we're going to be grown ups. Yeah, and that's why we're not going to go to the secret rocket island and take off to space because that's not a grown up thing to do. Well, it's not. I mean, this is this is something I'd want to say is you you heard me rant about this in our episode one review. I don't care much for the commercialization of space, whether it be literal outer space or metaphorical spaces here that people occupy. But that's what we're seeing. I'm still willing to vote for this prime minister, grown up to grown up. And, you know, I think we're seeing the consequences of the resistance to that. You know, we had one pin come down from space and blow up their comm center, Yep, which I'm going to wave my own flag here and say, yeah, I correctly predicted that that would be a conflict point later. But here in this episode, we see a whole bunch of them in the landscape and the characters reference them. There's a proliferation of these pins. And I, I think it is a the most subtle thing going on in this episode, you know, as the metaphor for how space is being taken over insidiously by this medical mechanica plan hmm. that you know places where kana can as she says cut loose are being eliminated and replaced by this very structured Structure. mapping of mm -hmm. pin here pin there you know you have to again you know as i was saying go somewhere spend some money in order to have an experience that really is just an experience of yourself Right, to, che to check in online, to, you know, go somewhere and spend money at a particular given, given place, or rather, you know, more generally to map out your life. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's having a life that's structured versus not structured. I mean, you know, there was a, a, good, um, a good article I ran into about, you know, having unstructured time. And then I've read a lot about this, you know, generally. I mean, uh, Finland even has an education system that focuses a lot on, you know, free time. And you know, just play. And, you know, they end up having some of the best academic results in the world. I mean, I don't want to dig too deep into that. But no, but but I think that's that's part of the, the message is that, you know, you can't map out. And, and that's something that FLC all kind of puts through. I mean, we even talked about never knows best last time is that, you know, what is best for an adolescent? I don't know that the answer to that. But in the end, I think it is okay to have that structure to bumble through it to get in some fights and to hit some robots. <laughs> so I want to pick up two other things here as we're going through that are, I guess, a little disjointed maybe, but I think we can probably spin them back in. There is that one scene in the classroom where the basketball boys stage a protest. Sure. They're unhappy with Hijri dating someone outside of the class you know, give her back to us. Like, who are they even asking this for? You know, Mosan calls them out on it, but it's representative maybe of like a toxic fan culture that they feel like they're entitled to a piece of a person. I, I don't, I don't read that into it. I, I did not get that at all. I mean, I thought really more of a comedy bit, frankly, Joe. And, and maybe this is how we view this differently. I don't think of this series overall primarily as comedy. No, I don't think of it primarily as comedy. But, you know, if you don't, if you go through life and don't find anything funny, then I think you're doing something wrong, frankly. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, laughing at your, you know, laughing at, you know, even yourself, 
and the circumstances. I think you're, you're taking it the wrong way. You're being too serious. You've drained all the spice out of your life. You've pretty much flattened yourself out. That, that's what I'm seeing here. You know, these, this guy, especially Ida, you know, this basketball team dude, you know, he has those serious eyebrows. He's very in earnest about this. And that, I think, you know, is just emblematic of the trouble that is being stirred up there. I'm just I'm just hesitant to kind of run in and throw a finger and say this is an example of toxic fandom, toxic whatever. I mean, that, that's a word that's thrown around a lot nowadays. I, and I think we need we all need to be very conscientious of, of what we label as that. I mean, versus, you know, this is uh, this is a moment where where, you know, it's it's gossip. It's something that that's, you know, hit the streets. And, you know, there's always overreactions to gossip. And this is just one kind of. In a, in a way, in my I found it, a comedic portrayal of how gossip gets out of hand. But if you think about, Hijiri is the closest thing to a celebrity they have there. Sure. And if you think about how real, quote unquote, celebrities are treated by fans and have to act around fans, I think the pressure that that represents is real. You know, the harassment that people get, the expectations that are there. You know, Hijri in this moment, I think, is just trying to live her own life. And she's confronted with people, not even the people that want to date her, but even the other girls in the class are asking her to take responsibility for actions she's taking that aren't directed at any of these people. Right. No, I I mean, it's it's none of their business. I mean, frankly, I mean, it's, you know, who she dates is, is who she dates. I mean... You know, she doesn't need to run it by the class to to verify that. Right. That's that's true. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. But at the same time, and and uh, what I'm trying to say there, Joe, is that you know when you when you hit celebrity status, I think everybody feels a ability to opine on what you're doing, right? I mean, yeah, obviously, Kardashians are on any you know major celebrity, you know, Benefer or whatever else you've got out there. Gosh, that's a dated reference. So that Yeah, it is. Like I, I even I know that that is old news. I don't know what the new news is. That's why I put the Kardashians out there. They're always in the news. But I mean, that's what Hijri references in the localization of the dub. Right. But it's and and dating is probably the worst example of this because that probably is the most private thing. But if you think about celebrities as public figures talking about social or political matters, even if it's just off the cuff, people spin it way out of proportion, invest a whole lot into what is being said, not with them as private citizens, but with them as supposedly idols of the populace. And that's, you know, that is what it is. I mean, those people... I always say to a certain extent, they adopt that, that role, right? I mean, you know, when you become a celebrity, you know, I, I, I've always felt it is a little bit part of the implicit agreement that you're making a god awful amount of money in exchange for the knowledge that, you know, your life is now subject to scrutiny, frankly. Right. But when do you become a celebrity? I mean, is Hijri at 17 as the town's up and coming model has she made it to that point yet well she she's on the cusp i mean and i think a lot of people are on the cusp i mean i i you know look we're not this podcast is not yet yeah this podcast is not i did not have people swarming me yet at dragon con i wait that day 
but <laughs> um, you know, long hashtag long term goals. But you know, I have a lot of uh, I know I know folks who are my friends who I know who are like, for example, you know, like cosplay models, you know, like mm. or um, kind of you know famous bloggers or whatever, you know, and they're like I see a lot of them that are on the cusp. You know, it's not enough that they can't go to the grocery store, you know, and, and wherever they are, but it's enough that they have a following that they can kind of mobilize or that can get, you know, mobilized about them. For example, you know, if um, I was listening to an article about a YouTuber, you know, who they found out she was dating somebody who shared opposing political views and, you know, that they, they were all mobilized, either mobilized against the dude to try to, sabotage it or the dudes people were mobilized against them it was a whole mess but you know you're on that point where you have followers and you have a following that will can take action yeah and these people can hurt themselves or each other if you know left to spin out of control and so this is where i feel uncertain about how much responsibility someone has as an idol to one's fans. I, I don't know. I haven't thought enough about this. But, you know, it's a similar kind of question, you know, what responsibility does an artist have in making their art in terms of the consequences of it? Right, right. And, that, and that's, well, not even their art. I mean, something you can control a little bit more than the art. I mean, it's... Well, your... I mean, your celebrity status is like a performance piece. You're a performance artist when you're in the public eye. Yeah, you're, but that's why, you know, you do PR. That's why you have an image guy, right? I mean, you, you know, there's always the image you're trying to project or, or you know, what, what's being put out there. I mean, even companies do this. Here in Orlando, <laughs> you know, Disney is probably the best example. Of, of course. They're very conscientious of how they do everything. Staff are cast members. People have a certain dress code, a certain way to behave certain attitude they have to adopt. That's that's part of the whole holistic, you know, view there. And it's just for me then finding a place to divide that up. You know, if you're a Disney cast member and you get into an argument when you're not at work but somebody makes the video go viral, World Star, Disney's right? probably not going to appreciate that. Yeah, World Star, sure. I mean, no, that happened here adjacent to my place of work here a young resident got into a fight with her Uber driver and before the end of the week, she was out. Wait, was it on, was it on video? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody just took a quick video of this, but who knows what the context is, but who cares? Her employer was like, well, that's it. We want no part of this. She's on her way. And is that part of the, you know, is that, I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, do you think that's part of just the modern era of, you know, social media and, you know, what we deal with nowadays in terms of expectations? I, I think it is. When you're talking about expectations, I think it is. Because people have and are not used to, I think, yet the amount of information that they can get, the access that they feel like they have with their eyes and their ears, but not with a real genuine social connection to an experience. You know, these boys in this class think they know something about hijri. They have no idea. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the rumor mill is just an analog version of Instagram or Snapchat. Well, yeah, no, it, it, the rumor mill is the rumor mill, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole reason why people will jump to a conclusion about something before they've heard all the facts or know all the details or, you know, go to confirm. 
they don't right but they can't i mean these are fans that are well at a remote distance in this case they could this is and i and i agree with your your kind of analogy in the beginning is that she's on the cusp she's small enough that her she's accessible they can come up and directly talk to her there's no minder there there's no screen well kana tries to be the minder but if she's the one that's doing pr injuries in trouble yeah that that's not her bright future for kana i mean she could do other things but you know she's not going to be the uh the adjutant there but that's what i appreciate about her i'm gonna i'm gonna push this along to something else i appreciate her optimism and her positivity and also her passion i mean passion is something i respect in anybody i mean seeing somebody who's passionate about what they do is inspiring to me and makes you know me push myself in the areas of my life where I want to push myself. That, that, that to me is what I admire for sure. And, and that's what saved this episode for me. You know, I, I said, you know, six out of 10 overall, maybe, you know, it could be lower. I'm certainly the average here is lower, but her scene during the climax, I don't know. I don't even want to know for me that, you know, 10 out of 10, I identified so strongly with that. And I felt so powerfully about what she was saying there in her rejection of this kind of pantomimed maturity, this sort of, you know, a false kind of maturity. Which which particular part, Joe? Because, I mean, her speech when she kind of, you know, when she's erupting there and overflowing? Yeah, yeah. When, you know, Hijri and, and Toshio are like, you know, this is none of your business. We're doing this thing. It's clearly okay with both of us. And this sort of thing happens all the time, I think is i don't remember whose line it is but that's what comes out and khan is like it is more important than you're treating it like and that's how i feel i was gripped by that i and you know what's so funny joe and and the kind of that i was with hijri on this one i was kind of like i mean i I think that was her i know you would be i know you would be i i mean it it isn't that big deal this happens all the it happens all the time she her words there are absolutely factually true yes this sort of thing happens all the time and there's no need to dramatize it to make it there. I mean, obviously, there's more substance to it. But what Kana brought to it was not productive. It was meddling. And it, it, it did nothing but cause an explosion in a giant fight. Metal? That's, that's her friend. That's her friend there. Yeah, but what, that's not her. I mean, yes, she's not dating. But that's her friend who's going through an experience that's emotional, whether she wants to accept it or not. And she doesn't need to interject herself right into the middle of it. You know, she he could have gone to and what I thought, you know, would have been the mature or, or even directly relatable uh, position is to go to Hijri and talk to her directly instead of indirectly going around her trying to talk to this dude. I, th- I think both options are available. I mean, because when she made the decision, she's like, OK, it looks like this guy's cheating on my friend. I'm going to go talk to him. Well, let me put it this way, Joe. Sort this out before I go throw him under the bus to my friend. I, I would really sincerely hope, and, I, and I'll put this on. I would sincerely hope that if you know that somebody that I am dating is cheating on me, that you would come to me before you tried to confront them. Because that, that, that I mean, thinking about that context of, of saying, okay, I'm going to go confront them. It's, well, whoa, 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 that's my. We have a different kind of relationship. Do, okay, but I think that that kind of relationship is what I would have admired more coming from that position that I'm currently in. I'm going to try to back her up here. This is immediately after this text conversation where 
Mosan is trying to sell them on the idea that Hijiri is a little off, that she's under pressure, that something is a is awry with her. And so does Kana want to sort of heap on her troubles there? I mean, she's already been harassed by these fanboys, harassed by the girls that don't like the fanboys. You know, they almost had a fight, whether or not she believes it was almost a fight in the karaoke bar. Mm. I can see where she's coming from wanting to take some of that heat and, you know, possibly be wrong about everything that was seen there before taking it to Hijri. Is it the right decision? I don't know. Do I agree with you? Mostly. But that's that's not what I'm getting at here. I disagree with the idea that the relationship has nothing to do with her friends because it has to do with her emotional well-being, Hijri's emotional well-being which is something that is important to Kana, to Mosan, to Pets. And so they're not directly in that relationship, but they are still affected by it and affect it. You know, you don't, you don't get into a relationship with just a person. A person is the node of a network of a bunch of other social relationships, friendships that are at least as important, if not more so. I mean, in this case, more so than that relationship was at any point because of how lasting and how familiar they were. I'm, I, I'm, I'm babbling on no, you, here. You but are, you are is... and I still disagree with you, but I will say good point for me to hype our friendship episode, which we just dropped. And I would right. encourage that, everybody to go why... look at that episode because that's a very good episode <laughs> where we get deeper into this. But I will say, to, to kind of swing it back around, and just and I, I don't want to spend too much time here because we could have an entire another cast on this. But I don't think that everybody in a node has the same right and responsibility equal and of general parity to those. No, same I, I got you there. So that, that's, I don't think I, I agree with you that it affects somebody. But to that extent, does that give them a right to? No, it doesn't give them a right. This isn't a matter of rights or responsibility. And I'm pretty sure I said something similar on our friendship cast as well. I don't think rights and responsibility come into those relationships in the same way. Okay, so I think. No, she did. She overstep her warrant. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Is we it agree. Wrong? That. Is it wrong? I don't know that it is. Well, I, I, yeah, and I'm not going to judge her for that. I mean, she's, she's like we all said, an adolescent, you know, and these are a bunch of, uh, well, at least Pedri's the grown up wannabe, but they're all trying to, you know, yeah, be mature people. I think well, they're trying well, no, to. Grow Kana up. in that moment is saying she doesn't want to grow up this way. She doesn't want to be this kind of person. She doesn't want to be this type of person. I think that's very instructive. I think that that's that's the prediction there is that you know right. Kana is 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 putting out there what type of person she wants to be as an adult, as a grown up. Yeah, and I think that that may differ from how some of the others want to be. I think yeah, and but my thesis here is that that stance that she's taking there in that exact moment is showing why. The NO chose her and not anyone else in that scene. Yeah. That she wants to retain some of that childlike outlook, that childlike, you know, unabashed earnestness mm -hmm. in confronting herself, even if she might be in the wrong. You know, she stands her ground. She expresses her frustration. Pieces are knocked together inside her head. And 
I mean, in this case, a truck comes out, but anything could come out. Yeah, but I, I would say I don't think that's that's definitely childish to express yourself. In fact, I'd almost say that she throws a tantrum. It is childish. The, I'm throwing a tantrum, tantrum right now about this. The tantrum is immature, and yes, you are you are tantruming like a 13 year old. <laughs> but a, a, as I try to calmly adult explain to you that adults talk about their feelings. Uh, children don't have the ability to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're giving me the Toshio right now. Yeah. You're talking down to me about this. Yes. Literally, I, I am taller than you. You're also on a higher floor right now. That's right. That's right. In, in a very flat state. <laughs> but the, the, I mean, the, the outcome is that, you know, you have her being honest, which I correlate as an adult thing with throwing a tantrum, which is, you know, childish, which is the keystone of an adolescent, right? Not knowing how to communicate that without, you know, getting to the point of overflowing, without getting to the point that, you know, you're pulling curry trucks out of your, your head. <laughs> so, so Joe, I, I think we're, we're about uh, over an hour here. Right. And, let's, and I wanted to kind of think about this episode, last episode. Do you have any thoughts kind of going forward? I mean, what I really want to see, I do want to see them look at the other two characters. Mm -hmm. I do want to know more about, for example, Pets. I, honestly, I, Mo San, I, I feel like I got to know her a little bit in the first episode by building that bottle, you know, the bottle rocket and kind of her intelligence there. But I want to, you know, learn a little bit more about Pets. And uh, frankly, I am also really excited for this basketball episode, which we know is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pets has definitely played it the coolest out of all of them, let on the least amount, even though Hijri's the one who's trying to keep that face up. Pets is the one I think that just very naturally is low key. And yeah, it, it is enticing there to figure out, you know, what is really going on with her. You know, you do see a scene finally inside her house, a little bit of her routine there. But for the most part, she's still that cool, mysterious character. Yep. And, and, you know, I think that's always somebody that I want to kind of explore and see more of. And I am interested, despite all my naysaying and seeing how this story develops, because I think it has potential to show us a different alternative on adolescence. Okay. <laughs> parting question, though. Parting question. You thought I was going to, you know, end this without going there. You tried to weave around it, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there when in doubt. How seriously do we take Haruko when she's talking about her penis? Oh, God, you whipped it out. At the end, at the last moment, <laughs> you whipped it out. You know, we, we heard in, spoiler alert to everybody, to the audience out there, we heard that there's, you know, a certain word that was said, and this was amongst the word of things that you can't say, and they said it was like the perfect moment. And I heard the word, and I'm like, they wasted penis on that? That wasn't even that funny. I it mean, It wasn't that funny, but that's what makes me consider even potentially taking it seriously all right on that note everybody thank you for listening to this episode of the stats check podcast with your host andrew and joe join us for next week for the review of season three of furikuri alternative